Christmas is the time to laugh, sing, and enjoy those closest to us. At least it should be. It's easy to get caught in the hurry and hustle of the season. It's easy to forget that when it's all said and done, it all comes down to the birth of a Savior King. Don't let this year slip by without remembering that the small things are often the most important things, and that joy to the world starts one person at a time. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And all the glory of God shone around it. The shepherds were terrified. The shepherds were terrified. The angel said not to worry. The shepherds were watching the sheep. And then they had this gift, and they, and they were watching the sheep at night. The shepherds came with three presents. The shepherds brought, <laughs> brought three presents. And, and uh, uh, angels came and, um, and just um, popped out of the nowhere in the shepherds, and the shepherds were afraid. But the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. The baby will be, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great heavenly host appeared. And they said, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And they saw the star, the bright star, and angels, and all the angels, and they were singing. Once the angels had left and gone back up to heaven, um, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go down, let's go and see this thing that the Lord has told us of. And they followed the star to get to the stable. And then the shepherds followed the star to the manger where he was laid. And they saw Bethlehem because there was a big light shining where Jesus was born. And so they went there and the shepherds went to go find Jesus. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Um, it was probably kind of small, not very, very many places to stay. That's why they had to stay at the stable. It was a pretty hard night sleeping in the stables, so it got a really hard night. I think that it's neat that a star came and led the shepherds and the three wise men to Jesus, and that it was like right above the um, stable where they were. And then the three shepherds went with three gifts. They gave them the three presents. Then um, Jesus looked over to them and it was a great night for um, the shepherds. They started worshiping him once they saw him. And then after they were done, they went to they went to go tell everyone else the good news. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had heard about this child. Mary treasured all that had happened and pondered it in her heart. On the shepherd's way back home, they praised the Lord of all they had seen and heard, which they which they just like they, it had been told. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen, heard, and done. But still, the baby did not cry at all. Not at all.
Uh, I think they rewrote a little bit of the Christmas story with the shepherds bringing gifts, but hey, let them do it. I just love the fact, you know, that's what I love about Christmas. You know, we're in the middle of our series called Christmas Classics. Last week, we talked about the song Silent Night and that, that one line in the song that says, sleep and heavenly peace. And is that possible? Not only is it possible, it's the very reason why we celebrate Christmas. The very reason why, why God gave us a Savior was to give us that peace so we could actually sleep in heavenly peace. And so peace is a very powerful aspect of Christmas that as a pastor, I really you know, pray that you will catch this Christmas season. Catch that peace that comes only from God. And the second thing you know, out of the Christmas season that I really want you to get, that I really want you to catch this morning is joy. Today we're talking about joy to the world, one of the great Christmas classics and what it means to have joy. And I know this is not going to be probably the most intellectually impressive message you'll ever hear, but I promise you, I guarantee you, if you'll learn to apply the principles of joy to your life, it'll radically change your marriage, it'll radically change your family, it'll radically change your workplace, it'll radically change your life if you learn how to operate in joy. So today is about joy. You know, we're trying to get you laughing. You know, did you ever, you, you know why, the, I heard somebody say, you know why it was, uh, there, there was no hotels available uh, in Bethlehem? Because it was Christmas. Everyone's family was in town. Just kidding. Sorry. See, I have absolutely no comedic timing and, and can't deliver a joke to save my life. But, you know, it's like my pastor used to say, if you pay more, you'll get better jokes. So let me, get, let me give you the backstory of Christmas, the backstory of what's going on. Last week, we started in Luke chapter 2 and got up to verse 7. Today, we're going to be getting in verse 8. But let me give you a little bit of the backstory of what's going on in Israel at this time. You see, they were under Roman occupation. They, 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 were, they were being controlled by the Roman Empire, and they were being treated pretty terribly. They were, all, they were basically being treated as slaves. And so it was a very miserable time in Israel's history. It wasn't a time of joy. It wasn't a time of happiness. It was a time of misery and suffering suffering and pain, and it wasn't the most pleasant circumstances. And so beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we, we continue reading, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Not just joy, but great joy. How many know at this time in Israel's history, they needed joy? They, not, they didn't just need joy, but they needed great joy. How many, how many have been in a season in your life where you didn't need just joy, but you needed great joy? You're dealing with circumstances, you're dealing with trials, you're dealing with problems, and you need great joy in your life. You don't need just news. How many know there's a lot of news out there, but you need good news? That's what it's all about. See, one of our core philosophies at Coastline is we want a church that people don't have to endure, but people can enjoy coming to church here. Because it's full of life, it's fun, it's, it's exciting. You know, I, I get so tired of these Christians that say, well, you're just young, that's why you're, you, you, you act so excited. You know, once you get older in the faith, you become more reserved. Is there anything farther from the truth? Let me, let me give you a truth to the Christian life. The more you learn about God, the more you get into this book, the more knowledge and depth you get into the Word of God, the happier you become, the more joy-filled you are, the more alive. You know how to have fun. You know how to laugh. So today is all about learning how to laugh this Christmas season. 
You know, I just love listening to people's laughters. You know, there, there, there's just so many different type of laughters out there. How many have ever heard the annoying movie laugh? That's me. I'm the annoying guy in the movie that just laughs as loud and as obnoxious as I can when something's funny. I'm, I'm not going to demonstrate it for you because I'm getting self-conscious just, just talking about it. But I will demonstrate my wife's laugh. She's got the girly <laughs> snort laugh. You know, the hee-hee, hee-hee. She doesn't have, I'm sorry, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight, but <laughs> thank you for allowing, giving yourself for the cause of Christ, for that example there. I used to have a friend that, that, that did the laugh. Have you ever had a friend that does the laugh that they have to repeat the punchline in the laugh? You know, like if the punchline is like the tree fell on his head, <laughs> the tree fell on his head, <laughs> the tree fell on the tree, the head, the... <laughs> ever heard that laugh? You know, there's all, oh, that's Tim. That's the Timothy laughed. The tree fell on his head. See, it's all, you know, you got to understand, laughing is healthy. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Then in verse 4 it says, a time to laugh. Laughing is godly. Laughing is part of the Christian life. If you can't laugh, you're not obeying the Bible because the Bible clearly says there's a time to laugh, a time to rejoice. That's why a few months ago we had Michael Jr. on a Sunday morning. The the comic, you've seen him on Dave Letterman and Jay Leno. We had him on Sunday morning, a stand-up comic. People were saying, isn't that illegal to have a stand-up comic in church? You can't do something like that. I'm telling you, it was one of the funniest mornings I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he was hilarious. He was telling jokes. I mean, the the place was just rolling down the aisles. And then he got to the end of the message and shared his testimony and went into the altar call. I've never seen so many people respond to Christ through comedy. See, how many know Christ doesn't need a judgmental, condemning message to get people to respond? It says the goodness of God draws people into his presence. Sometimes people need to laugh. They need to rejoice. They need to have joy in their Christian life. You see, when I grew up in church, I grew up in the type of church that many of you probably, you know, have been to or experienced or seen. How many know there's a lot of religious churches out there giving God a really bad name? People have got all sorts of whacked out view, whacked out perception on who God is. They think God's this evil taskmaster, this principal with a, with a paddle waiting to strike you down every time you mess up. A lot of people have that view of God because of some messed up churches giving people the completely wrong idea. See, I used to think growing up, the more painful church was, you got more holy points. You got more like heaven points, the more painful and the more, the, the more miserable church was. You had the uncomfortable benches, you had to wear church socks and suit and tie, and it was just horrible. And, and the more painful it was, the more godly it was. I never understood that because that's anything but what the Bible teaches. It's anything but the, look at the people that love being around Jesus. I mean, they were the most messed up, rowdy, criminals, mafia, uh, uh, sinners that you've ever seen. And they loved being around. The religious people couldn't stand them, but the sinners loved to be around them. See, what that tells me is he must have been the life of a party. He must have been fun to hang out with because if stuffy, religious, boring people wanted nothing to do with them and the wildest people of society loved being around them, that explains to you a little bit of who Jesus is like. And to me, one of my dreams for Coastline Church is that we as a family, we as a community of Christ followers, walk with so much joy and laughter and passion that people want to be like us. 
People say, I want to know what you have. Why are you so happy? Why do you have so much joy? Why are you rejoicing in the middle of, of horrible situations in life and, and, and in the middle of unemployment and financial insecurities and, and sicknesses and everything else? You guys are the happiest bunch of people. Why? Because joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about what joy can do for you today. Joy, if you're following in your notes, joy will change my approach to life. You know, joy will change my approach to life. It, it, it'll change, you know, the way I look at life. You know, you can be a glass half full or a glass half empty type of person. And how many know a glass half full always sees life differently? They always see things better. It's, it, it, you got those, you know, it's, they call them rose-colored glasses where everything is more beautiful to you. That's what I choose to be. I'd rather see the world through beautiful eyes. I'd rather be the glass half full and change my approach to life because of joy. In, in Nehemiah's time, Nehemiah is going back to Israel. He's reclaiming the city. He's rebuilding the walls and the city and bringing the people back during a very difficult time of captivity. And this is what Nehemiah says during this very difficult time where they needed strength. They needed power. They needed, to, they needed the ability and courage to rebuild the city for God. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of you ever needed strength in life? Strength to get through a problem. Strength to get through a trial. Strength to face an adversity. Strength to face a mountain. Guess what your strength is? Your joy. Your joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's your strength in life. Learn how to smile. Learn how to laugh. If you don't know how to laugh and smile, you need to get right with God. I mean, the reality is the holiest people I know are the most loving, fun, smiling, uh, happy people in the world. Because that's what being a Christian is all about. See, holier than thou and holy are two separate things. We don't want to create holier than thou Christians. We want to create holy Christians that are loving, that are fun, that know how to laugh, that know how to smile, that are contagious to people around them. Joy will turn my problems into blessings. Joy will turn my problems into blessings. You know, I've literally seen the power of joy change situations. A, a couple years ago, I was in Los Angeles, and I was driving with some of my friends from Australia. And I, it was, you know, late at night. It was about 1 in the morning. We were leaving. We were going home. And I was going down the freeway a little bit faster than, than a pastor should be driving. I, I know none of you have never gone over the speed limit. But I was in the triple-digit range. I know I shouldn't admit that to you. I know I just burst some of your bubbles about who I am. Triple digit range. Should have been arrested when I got pulled over. And I've got my buddy from Australia, and the cop walks up to the door, and he puts on the thickest Australian accent you've ever heard in your life. Good day, officer. And the officer was like taken back by this, this thick, I mean, he was crocodile Dundee to the extreme that day. And he's, you know, this is a city boy from Australia. And he's got the crocodile Dundee thick, puts it on, you know, like we can put on a redneck accent. He puts on his crocodile Dundee accent. He starts telling jokes to the officer. Before I know it, uh, I'm sitting in the car. He's in the squad car with the officer pushing buttons and playing with the stuff. And, you know, the officer's never been around an Australian before and having the time. And he's telling jokes and literally laughing. We got away without even a warning. I mean, not even a warning. Now, I know what you're thinking. Don't try to be a stand-up comic next time somebody pulls you over because it didn't work the next time. But I saw joy turn the situation around. Proverbs 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. A cheerful heart is good medicine. 
Laughter, actually, if you, if you study science, and you know, we've got some doctors in the house today, they, they can tell you laughter is, is an incredibly healing thing. It, it's an inc- it, there's medical benefits to laughter. Medical benefits to laughter. Joy will affect those around you. Joy will affect people around you. Learning how to laugh at yourself at the stupid things you do. I mean, I am a, a prime candidate for doing stupid things. I mean, I am always doing something just, just silly from, from literally, I can roll my ankle reading a book. I mean, I, I mean that's how accident prone I am. I'll be walking and then all of a sudden my knee pops out of socket or my ankle rolls. I just learn I have to laugh at myself. I can't take myself seriously because I don't have it all going on. As much as I'd like to say, you can ask my wife, she'll tell you. She likes to laugh at me. That was, that was a good time for you to go, oh, I'm kidding. Psalm 126, verse 1 and 2. Joy will affect those around you. Listen to this. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. You know what? I would love people you work with to say that phrase about you. What amazing things the Lord has done for you. Why? Because you're so full of laughter, so full of joy, so full of life that people around you are changed because of the joy inside of you. See, you're going to be contagious. You just have to decide what you want to give people. You can give people a bad attitude because you are contagious whether you like it or not. Or you can give people the joy that's inside of you. You can allow people around you to say, say, what amazing things the Lord has done. See, one of the greatest tools in evangelism is joy. You want to learn how to be a personal soul winner or or an evangelist for Christ? One of the greatest things you can have is joy in evangelism. I'm telling you, there's nothing more attractive than than learning how to laugh and and learning how to have joy with people. Some people are out there witnessing for Christ, and they're making more converts for other religions than Christ by the way they witness. I mean, you've seen them. You need to come to Jesus and let him change your life the way he changed my life. And people are looking at you thinking, if Jesus did that to you, keep him away from me. I don't want that on me at all. People need to see life. They need to see excitement. They need to see the joy the Bible talks about in life. So what I want to do is I want to give you five secrets of joy, five truths, biblical truths to live a joy-filled life this holiday season. Number one, take responsibility for your own emotions. Take responsibility for your own emotions. I hear people all the time say, I was happy until I got in a wreck. I was happy until this person spit on me. I was happy until they weren't nice to me. I was happy until this. I was, I was happy until this. And we completely blame everyone else for our personal happiness. And we live our life controlled by what other people do, by, by what circumstances do, by what situations do. You know what you can do right now? You can, I guarantee at some point in the next five days, you're going to have an opportunity to get offended. You're going to have an opportunity to get unhappy. You're going to have an opportunity. Something is going to happen in your life that's not going to be 100% perfect in your little world order. Something's going to disrupt your world order in the next five days. What you can do today, right now, is make a choice today how you're going to react to it. You can choose right now that when that thing happens tomorrow morning at work or it happens later on this week at work, you can choose to face it with joy today. You can choose not to allow your circumstances to determine how you react, but choose to put on the joy of the Lord in every situation. See, there's a little, you know, kind of underlying current Christianity today where we hear people say, well, you need to be real. You need to be real with people. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. 
That, that be true to thine self is not in the word of God. That's, that, that's Shakespeare. That's Socrates. That's not biblical. The Bible actually tells you to be a put on. I can prove it. It says put on the joy of the Lord. It doesn't say put on the joy of the Lord when you feel like it. See, the reality is when I wake up in the morning, you don't need to meet Aaron Jane. You need to meet Christ in me. Because Aaron Jane isn't the greatest guy in the world. Aaron Jane's got issues, he's got problems, he's, he's got struggles. What I've got to do every single day is work hard to let Aaron Jane die. As the Bible says, crucify yourself, take up his cross and follow him. I've got to learn to crucify myself daily, put on the joy of the Lord in every circumstance I encounter. Because the truth is, I'm not naturally that optimistic. I'm not naturally that nice of a person. I've got to put on the joy of the Lord and allow Christ to overtake who I am so I can become like him in every situation. That's what it means. You've got you, you, you to learn how to choose your attitude. It's your choice. You choose how you react to things. Circumstances don't take away your joy. You choose to give away your joy. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. See, it's a choice. You've got to strip off the bad attitude. You've got to strip off those weights that hold you back. It's like, a, you know, I, I heard a prayer the other day that somebody prayed. I, I love this prayer. It says, dear Lord, so far today I'm doing great. I'm not gossip. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I've not whined. I haven't complained. I haven't cursed or eaten any chocolate. I've charged nothing on my credit card today, Lord. But God... I'm going to be getting out of bed in a couple minutes, and I think I'm going to really need your help from here on. I mean, no, that's life. That's life. Psalm, you know, one of, one of my dreams as a pastor is that Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, becomes the, the daily prayer verse of our church. You know, I, I can't imagine how radically different this community of believers would be if every morning all of us together prayed Psalm 19, verse 14, corporately as a church, that that became our, our personal model. That became our, our, our personal prayer every morning. Look at this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation, the thinking of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Imagine how radically different your life would be if every day you, you really sought God. God, let every word I speak today be pleasing to you. Let every word I say be pleasing to you. And let every thought I think, let, let the meditation of my mind be pleasing to you. My words and my thoughts, let them be pleasing to you. How radically different would your life be? Number two, I've got to speed through the next couple ones. Develop a high appreciation for life. Develop a high appreciation for life. How many of you realize this morning that you can make a long list of everything you don't like about life? And if you have any problem making that list, just watch the news for a while. You'll get plenty of stuff just of what you don't like about life. But what we have to do as believers and followers of Christ is learn how to develop a high appreciation for life. Because life is, is good. There is a, a lady who was taken to a nursing home, separated from her family, not a good circumstance, had to go live in a nursing home. Uh, how many know no one ever wants to have to face that in a family member or a friend? It's, it's not, you know, a lot of times it can be a lonely experience. So they're taking her to her room, and one of the, uh, the workers at the nursing home asks her this question, uh, how is your room? And this is what she responded. This is what she said. She said, listen, happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. Think about that. Happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. She goes, whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged, but how I arranged my mind. 
I mean, that's the powerful truth in life. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 19 says it like this. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed is a gift from God. What's he talking about? He's talking about developing a high appreciation for life. Enjoying your situation, enjoying your circumstances. It may not be pleasant, it may not be the most wonderful thing in life, but learning how to give thanks and enjoy the good moments you have. Learning how to give thanks for the time. You know, even when you have a bad day, you can choose to have a good attitude. You know that? Even when you have a bad day, you can choose to have a good attitude in life. Number three, find something positive in everything. Find something positive in everything. It may take a little bit of digging. It may take a little bit of mining. It may take a little bit of hard work, but you can find something positive in every situation. How? Look at, look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul gives us the, the, the way to do this. Philippians 4 verse 8, he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Look at this. Fix your thoughts. Fix your mind. Fix your thinking, your meditation on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy about praise. See, if you will focus your mind on what is good, and it is a discipline. It doesn't naturally happen. Our minds love to just move right to what is bad. You know, we love, that's why gossip magazines are so popular in, in our culture and world, because we want to know the gossip. We want to know the dirt on people. But if you'll learn to fix your mind on what is good, what is pure, what is holy, what is true, it'll radically change your perception in life. Uh, number four, say something positive in every conversation. Say something positive in every conversation. And again, how many of you understand it? It's more fun to speak negatively than it is to speak positively. How many know it's a lot easier and oftentimes we find it more fun to tear somebody apart with our words and to speak negatively with our words than to speak positively. And I'm telling you, I, you know, every message I preach, you've got to understand as a pastor, I'm preaching this to myself as much as you. Because I, I have the same tendencies every one of you have, and I've got to learn the same disciplines every one of you have. We've got to learn how to speak positively in every situation. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Psalm 141 and verse 3 says, Take control of what I say, Lord, and guard my lips. Guard my lips, God. Your words have the power of life and death. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 I love this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I mean, that's a great message this Christmas season. And then number five in closing, express gratitude. Learn how to express gratitude to God and others daily. You know, what I love about the book of Philippians is the backstory. See, the backstory of the book of Philippians is when Paul wrote the Philippi church, he was in prison. He'd been beaten. He was bloody. He was in pain. He was hurting. He's in a prison cell. And he writes this letter to the Philippian church. Now, how many know in that type of circumstance, in that type of situation, when you're hurting, your body is physically hurting, you've been beaten, you're locked in prison, it's not fun. How many know it would be really easy to complain in a situation like that? It'd be really easy to speak negatively in a situation like that. And look what Paul does. Look, look, look at Philippians 4 again, verse 6 and 7. I love this. 
I mean, think about it. Pain, beaten, bloody, hurting, prison. This is what he says. Don't worry about anything. Paul, you're in prison. What are you talking about? You, you can literally get the death penalty. You could lose your life, and you're saying, don't worry about anything? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Just tell God what you need. And then you need to learn how to thank Him, express gratitude for what He's already done. Every one of you, no matter how bad your circumstance is right now, no matter how difficult it is, you know, I think of Patrice, who I love with all of my heart and pray for every day. You know, Patrice has been fighting MS for about 10 years. Every day she's in agony. I mean, a good day for her is to be in a, you know, you know, just let the pain decrease a little bit because every day she experiences extreme pain. Every day she experiences extreme pain. Her body physically from this disease of MS. And yet when I'm around her, she's always giving thanks. She's always thanking God. I mean, it would be very easy for her to want to give up and die, want to complain, want to have a negative attitude. But in the worst circumstance, I can't even imagine what she has to go through every day she wakes up. The courage that she has to get to get out of bed because of the pain in her feet to even stand up. And yet she's in church every Sunday, faithfully serving God, giving thanks. Even in the midst of what she's dealing with, she's finding things to be thankful for and giving thanks to God. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. You can find something to give thanks for. Something to say thank you to the Lord for. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. My prayer for you this Christmas season is not only will you find peace and be able to sleep in heavenly peace, but that you'll find joy. You'll learn how to laugh. You'll learn how to enjoy the craziness. You'll learn how to enjoy the, 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 the circumstances. You'll learn how to find joy in everything because joy will change your life. It'll change your life. It's what being a Christian is all about is walking with great joy, being able to laugh and have fun. For some of you this morning, you need to take the first step to joy because joy is not a human emotion. Let me make it very clear. Joy is not something you can get by yourself. Joy only comes from God. Happiness is a human emotion that comes and goes. Joy is something that is given to you from God. Joy is a lot deeper than happiness. Happiness is very superficial. Joy goes down into your soul. Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit, God's very own Spirit that you can only get when you have God in your life. The Bible says when you say yes to God, He gives you His Spirit as a helper. And His Spirit gives you things like peace, gives you things like joy, gives you things like love. That in your human strength, you'll never fully get without God's Spirit. So I want to ask you this morning, if there's anyone here today that's never made the first step of saying yes to God, putting God number one in your life, making God your everything, first place. God's not an accessory. God's not a wristwatch or a handbag. God is all or nothing. He's either number one in your life or he's nothing at all. He's not going to be one small aspect of your life. 
When people say, well, I've got sports, I've got job, I've got family, I've got God. No, God has to be center. He wants total control of your life. And the beauty of it is when you give God everything you are, God gives you everything he is. And we win on that deal. So if you need to say yes to God this morning, you've never made a decision to make your life right with God. Or maybe you were right with God at one point in your life, but something happened. Maybe you did something. Maybe somebody did something. Maybe, you know, but for whatever reason, today you're not in relationship with God. You're not right with God. You don't feel that closeness to him. You've allowed a distance to be created. Maybe something happened and you blamed God and you walked away from him. Maybe you made mistakes and you walked away from him. Whatever it is, this morning I want you to hear this loud and clear. God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. You're not too far. I love you. I'm waiting for you. I still want to have a relationship with you. I still want to be a part of your life. There's nowhere you can go that I won't take you back. Nothing you can do that I won't take you back from God is saying. His grace completely covers you. Nothing you can ever do to get away from the grace of God. Nowhere you can ever go to be too far for God to not bring you back with loving arms and love you, make you his son, make you his daughter. So if that's you this morning, you need to say yes for the first time or you need to accept his invitation to come back to him. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you'd like me to pray for you quickly, this private moment between you and God, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, you can put your hand down, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Let me walk you on a simple process of how we do this. There's nothing magical about it, it's just a very simple prayer that you pray to God directly. You don't need a priest to do it. You don't need me to do it. It's between you and God. Step one is you invite him to be first place in your life. So what I'd like you to do right now is in your own way, in your own words, just say, God, I want you to be first place in my life. I give you my life. I live for you. Take first place. So right now in your own way, whether you want to do it out loud or just do it to yourself, however you want to do it, just ask God to take first place in your life. Step two is a forgiveness step. You got to understand, we've all messed up. I've messed up. Every one of us. I, I like to say we've all checked into the same hospital. Some of us just may have gotten there a day or two early. But we all need the same forgiveness. We all need the same grace. So what I want you to do right now is just ask God to forgive you. And believe in faith that when you ask God to forgive you, he will completely wipe, wipe it away. He'll completely erase your record. He'll remember it no more. He'll remove it as far as the east is from the west, that you don't have to live under that guilt anymore. You don't have to live under that condemnation anymore, that God can completely erase it. Satan will try to remind you of it, but the reality is when you go to God, God says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have so forgiven that, so removed that, so covered that with grace. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's the forgiving power of God. So right now, just ask him to forgive you in your own way. And then the last step is I just want you to say thank you. Just say thank you for giving us a Christmas gift that was a savior, that brought us peace, that brought us joy, that brought us hope. Just say thank you to God.